0: Um, well, not too long ago, Pastor Steve preached a sermon that I really enjoyed. He, he titled it All Fired Up, and if you're here, you may remember it, uh, but he talked about some of the practices in his life that makes him all fired up in his faith, and uh, I liked the sermon so much uh, that I thought I would just kind of do it with my own little flare, uh, fire flare. Uh, I didn't plan that joke. Not bad, not bad. I'm doing good on the dad jokes, I think. Uh, That was a good one. Anyways, um, and so it's going to be, you're probably going to think, I've heard this sermon before, but you haven't. It's just going to maybe feel a lot like it's not as good, though. Let's be honest. Kitty, could you put the picture up there? I I didn't want anyone to see it before because it's really embarrassing. Oh, (laughs) Uh, this is college John. That's what I call him. Um, some of you may remember College John, because while I was in college I attended this church and was year ready to college. You may notice in this picture that I am matching the penguin on my shirt. <coughs> it's, this is embarrassing for me because it wasn't that long ago. Uh, that I, I used to dress this way and I used to wear those kinds of sunglasses and intentionally match the penguin on my shirt. College John was interesting because, as you can tell, Very colorful, loved attention. Maybe I still do like the attention, I'm not sure. But I was like very eager and I would dress a certain way so that people would look at me. And I had like every highlighter color in my wardrobe. Um, But something that you may not know about college, John, because, I don't know, he doesn't look very respectful, (coughs) um, is that, well, I think I still am, but I was very driven to be better. And I, I think that that's a good quality to have, to be driven to be better. But I would always be looking for someone to tell me how to do things better, how I could improve. I would go to professors in schools or pastors and I'd say, what can I do better? What can I do better? I'd preach a sermon at a church. I'd walk up to the pastor. Was there anything you'd do different? Is there anything you could do better? And I was on this like constant say, like high of being better, getting better. And, um, I believed that in order to be better meant I needed to be informed. If I had information that would make me a better person on my internship, um, college John went to uh, a large church, a very large church in uh, Mississauga and at this church, because I was so driven to be better and for people to tell me my flaws. I don't know. I didn't really like it, but I thought I liked it. Anyways, I met with... Every staff member, one on one in the church. The church was like 3,000 people. There was many staff members. I met with custodians and pastors and secretaries and everyone. And I was like, I need to learn something from everyone. The conversation that made the most difference was a conversation with the spiritual uh, discipleship pastor. In this, con- I don't really remember the conversation that I had with the pastor. I remember that it was good. I remember enjoying it. Uh, I don't really remember, I don't remember what he said. Um, But at the end of our meeting, I said, do you have any books I can read? (coughs) Now, I hate reading. Like, Pastor Steve and I are on completely different ends when it comes to this. I really do not like reading, um, but I was driven to be better. And I was also thinking, oh, I want to impress him by saying, hey, do you have any books? Anyway, so he suggested some books on his bookshelf. I pulled out my phone because I'm a millennial. And I took pictures because that's how I was going to remember these books took pictures of the books, and, um, anyways, fast forward some years, uh, I was at a church where I had a book allowance, which meant I didn't have to pay for books, which meant I could buy books that I wouldn't read. Um, that sounds awful, but that, that was my mentality. So I'm like, oh, what books am I going to read? What books am I going to buy? So I was looking through my phone. I found these old pictures that had been passed on from phone to phone, and there was this book... And it was called Spiritual Disciplines, or the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And it was by Adele, oh, I don't know how to say her middle name, so Adele Calhoun. And when the book arrived, I was kind of disappointed, because it wasn't like the books I'd read before. The few books that I'd read before, uh, where it was just lots of information, and you know, like spirit. Five spiritual or leadership principles to make you better, or whatever. It wasn't like those books, and so I didn't. I didn't read it. Uh, I just kind of opened it up. It's like you know, I, I don't want to take time with that. <coughs> Shut it. Sat on my bookshelf, and then ministry was hard. Heather and I were in transition. I was bored. Let's be honest. And I picked up this book. It reminded me of something that I had been told my entire. Christian life. That's what I'm going to talk about anyways this morning, Um, because instead of it being an information book, I have the book with me, it's an index with multiple spiritual disciplines. And so depending on where you're at in your life or areas in your faith that you think you need to work on, there are spiritual disciplines in it that will help you get to that place. So I read it, well, I read parts of it, I went through it, I picked some spiritual disciplines that I felt I needed, so I picked it up and I enjoyed it. Um, But to help you understand how awesome this book is, um, I want you to imagine something. If it helps you, you can close your eyes, but you don't have to. Um, I want you to think of your dream job, but your dream job has to be something that you're not qualified for. So if you're like, my dream job is to be, I don't know, an artist and you're fantastic at art. No, no, no. You have to think of something, a dream job that you're completely unqualified for. So think about that random dream job or job that you think would be really fun to try. And when you thought of it, I was going to say put your hand in your head, but I'm not at school. So we don't have to do that. (laughs) Um, My dream job is to be an artist. Uh, like a visual artist. I am not good at art. Uh, Yeah, I'm really bad at it. But I think it's incredible how people can create something out of almost nothing. And I used to enjoy art when I was younger and I went to like a cartooning camp when I was nine or something. But then I stopped doing it. I'm awful at it. Anyways, hopefully now you have your thing. My thing's art. So whatever your thing is, I want you to think about it. And now I want you to imagine someone coming to your door Knock, knock, knock. Hi, your name. We want you to do dream job. We have done research on you and you have the perfect makeup to be whatever, an artist. And they hand you a how-to book and they say, okay, see you on Monday. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing because you're like, you're not gonna be good at the job, right? You're not gonna be able to do it. What would I be missing? That's an actual question. Not rhetorical. You can answer. What would I be missing? I have this how-to book. Even if I read it front to back, I wouldn't be good at it. What am I missing? Experience. Experience. Practice. Yes. Of course. So, um, even if I had the perfect makeup, even if I had, I don't know what artists need, the perfect hands. I don't know. I have okay hands. Um, Even if I had the perfect eyes, whatever, I read this book front to back, I would be not the greatest artist, not good enough to have a job in it, anyways. Uh, because I would need practice. In 1 Timothy 4:8, it says, Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and to life and the life to come. In our Christian faith, knowledge or even talent isn't enough for us to move closer to God. <clears throat> But instead, it needs to be partnered with disciplines, practices that will form us into who God has called us to be. So this morning, I've titled the sermon Disciplined. Um, you're not getting in trouble, not that kind. Um, but as I share with you some of the spiritual disciplines that I've put in my life that have helped form me into who I am. These disciplines have set a fire, so to speak, to my soul. They are the gasoline to my soul. And um, the first one, uh, you can put it up there, Kitty, is reading the Bible and prayer. Now, Pastor Steve talked about this one. If you want to know more about it, you can go online and listen to the sermon. Uh, So I'm not going to take a long time with it. That's why I paired them together, because reading the Bible and prayer are different things. Um, But I just thought I would quickly explain to you my spiritual practices when it comes to reading the Bible and prayer. So this is what it looks like for me. I wake up in the morning, and I, I slowly wake up in the morning, and I grab my phone. It's next to me. That's probably not a good thing to do, have my phone next to me while I sleep. But I have my phone next to me. I turn it on, and the first thing I do in the morning is I read my Bible. And I read my Bible on my phone, if you're wondering why I'm grabbing for my phone. Um, there's an app called YouVersion, and it is an incredible way to read the Bible if you have a tablet or a smartphone. But anyways, I take this app, I open the app, and I read every day. And when I read, I highlight a passage that I've read that really sticks out to me. And maybe I know why, I, maybe I don't, but I highlight it, and then I pray about it. That specific verse or two verses. And then after I pray about it, I write a note. In the app, you can write notes. So I write a note. On what I feel God is saying to me. And maybe to, to my viewers. I don't have many. Maybe like a couple people that read it. Uh, but I, I write something. Um, yeah. For whatever I've read that day. And, um, but how I read the Bible every day changes. So sometimes I read devotional plans. In the app there are devotional plans that you can pick from and read through. So sometimes I do it that way. Sometimes I read, um, one chapter for a whole week. So say I'm reading through the book of James. I'd read James chapter one on Monday, James chapter one on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. Then, so I read it over and over and over again, finding another verse that sticks out to me, praying about it, writing a note on it. Then I switch to chapter two, then the chapter three. That takes a really long time, but sometimes I do it. I don't do it with books that are like 35 chapters. Um, but the shorter books in the New Testament or the prophets i 'll do that with most of the time I read one chapter a day and it changes so Monday, chapter one, Tuesday, chapter two, Wednesday, chapter three, and so on uh, so that it doesn't take me a year to get through one book anyway so that's how I read uh, that 's how I read the Bible. Um, my prayer life is Sort of an ongoing conversation. I know people have explained prayer that way, that you can kind of talk to God all the time. Uh, When I'm at work, and if you don't know, I work as an EA, and I get to work with kids that have trouble. So sometimes when I'm at work, I pray. Because I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say. Uh, We get put into some really difficult situations, and so just to myself, I pray. And I say that's like a kind of an ongoing conversation. Sometimes it's like someone cuts me off. I'm like, oh, God, help me not to honk. Um, but if you don't honk, then they don't know what they did wrong, right? So, so there's that. But there's this like ongoing conversation anyways with God. But there's also time that I take specifically with God. And so I explained in the morning my routine. It's kind of paired with reading the Bible. I pray. Um, But then I also try to pray, well, I do pray every night before I go to bed. And I pray for many things, but I do that. Also, Heather and I started a practice in our house because we kind of, we felt guilty. Have have you ever had where someone comes up to you? If you're a Christian, they come up to you and they say, "Oh, I'm going through a really hard time. They say something, you're like, I'm going to pray for you. And then you forget. You're like, maybe you're nodding your head if you have enough confidence to admit it. Um, I have done all the time. And especially it's bad as a pastor, but it's just the truth. I say I'm going to pray for someone and then I forget. And I used to say okay, I'm going to pray right in that moment, but sometimes I'm busy, I get a message, I get an email, whatever it is. So, we have a prayer board. It's a chalkboard. Heather has made it look like Pinteresty and cool. Um, but on this board, we write things that we need to pray for. So, if people ask us to pray for them, We we write things uh, things on the board to pray for them, and then we also put some reminders of things that we want to pray for every day. So we have on that our family, we have our church, we have Pastor Steve and his family, Uh, we have Joy. We pray specifically for Joy every day, and so it sits. We have a small living area, but it basically lives in our common room. I don't know what to call it Um, because it's a bedroom and a living room and a kitchen. And a nursery. So, but anyways, it's our common room. So we see it all day. So whenever I'm walking in that direction, I see it and I'm reminded to pray for these needs. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah? Okay, good. So those are my practices around reading the Bible and prayer. The second uh, discipline that I'm going to talk about may surprise you. And and maybe, well, just because of how important it is. It may surprise you how important it is. Um, God gave us ten commandments. And he spends more time talking about two than any of the others. The first one is that we're not supposed to worship other gods. Pretty important rule. Does anyone know what the second one is? I'll read it. In Exodus 20, verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any other work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Last week, Pastor Steve recapped a story of when Jesus was plucking grain on the Sabbath. Bad Jesus. Just kidding. Jesus doesn't do bad things. And the Pharisees reprimand him. And Jesus says something to them. He says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God knows that we need rest. And he exemplified it. And God did not need to take a break. I don't know if you know that, but like after six days, he created a lot, but he didn't actually need the break. He was doing it to exemplify something for us, his creation. That everything, everyone needs a break. But we don't need to practice it as, I hate using this word in this way, but as religiously as strictly as the Pharisees did. And that's the point that Jesus is making. The Sabbath is for us, not us for the Sabbath. And this is the newest spiritual practice that Heather, or discipline, that Heather and I have put into our lives. And it started when we were at a, a retreat, a pastor's retreat. And the pastor was preaching on the Sabbath. And he made this point. It's one of the Ten Commandments. Did you know that? Did you know that if you don't take a break, once a week, you're disobeying God? I think of the scene in The Lion King where Mufasa's like, you intentionally disobeyed me, or something like that, or whatever, and after Simba runs into the elephant graveyard, and anyways. But that's what I think of. Like, and so we were convicted. We're like, oh my gosh, God has this law, and we're not listening to it. This is bad. So we started practicing the Sabbath. Um, and... We've been practicing it since, when was that, like January, middle of January, where every Saturday, I say that, but yesterday wasn't really a good Sabbath, so we're going to take another one, uh, because it wasn't wasn't as relaxing as we thought it would be, Um, but every Saturday uh, we do nothing. That may sound lazy, but God tells us to. Uh, I want to explain to you what the Sabbath looks like for us, because we don't actually do nothing. Uh, we wake because we have a baby, so that's, that's not happening. Um, maybe when we're retired one day, we'll, we'll really know how to take the Sabbath six days a week. Um, just kidding. Uh, but, so what it looks like for us is we wake up in the morning, we try to do our devotionals before Joy wakes up, doesn't always work out that way. We have to be flexible. Because if you know babies, you know. Anyway, so we try to, but we'll do our Bible reading. And then we spend the morning listening to worship music while we get joy ready for the day and us ready for the day. Um, usually staying in our pajamas, though. So there's not much to do. It's really just feeding ourselves and her. Uh, but we listen to worship music and take time to spend time with God. And then when Joy goes down for her first nap, then Heather and I will do something personal for ourselves, but around our devotional life. So we may listen to a podcast, or one of us may read, the other one may listen to a podcast. We may continue to play worship music. We sometimes take that time to pray quietly, because Joy's in the same room as us. Um, But we, we take this time anyways to do that. Then Joy wakes up. And then... Uh, this is kind of marks like the second half of our day. We eat lunch, and then we just binge, because that's what we like to do. So we'll watch movies, we'll watch TV shows, we'll play board games, we eat good food. I have a Fitbit, which means I don't get my steps on the Sabbath, but I eat way too much food. I don't know if you would, but I'm like supposed to burn extra thousand calories every day than what I eat, but that doesn't happen on the Sabbath. Um, we just do whatever we enjoy. Sometimes we see family. Sometimes we don't, because we don't think that it'll be relaxing. I won't say that that happened yesterday. Dad, if you're listening, I enjoyed my time with you, but it wasn't that relaxing. Um and Renee. Anyways, so, but we, we'll, we'll go see family. We'll, we'll go shopping. Not grocery shopping. Ugh. But we'll, like... <laughs> grocery shopping? Really? Who likes... Oh my gosh. I will pay someone to do my grocery... No, I, I don't have money to pay to do my grocery shopping. You can serve the kingdom of God by doing my grocery shopping. <laughs> oh no. I was going to say, don't fire me, but he can't. So, I point there like it's like Pastor Steve is here. Um, oh man. But We'll, we'll go shopping or... We'll go out, we'll go for a drive, especially if Joy is gonna sleep in the car when we go for that drive and get ice cream or whatever. So like, we we still turn on lights, we still cook, but we don't like cook extravagant meals or we don't cook meals that we don't like. We'll usually order pizza for dinner and chicken wings and make sure we have enough leftovers for the next day. I was gonna advertise for Domino's, but I won't. but that's what our Sabbath looks like to go to bed, or when Joy goes to bed, and we do things for ourselves. Maybe that, <laughs> Heather will shower. <laughs> uh, like, yes, she's, yes. Um, yeah, we just, I don't know, we do stuff for ourselves. Does that make sense? So for the first half of our Sabbath, it's all dedicated to God, spending time with God intentionally. Second half of our Sabbath is all selfish. This sounds kind of bad, but it's us taking care of ourselves and doing things that make us feel relaxed, making us feel rested for the week to come. Um, For you, if you take your Sabbath, it may look different because you may like to fish so you can fish. Pastor Steve walks in the snow. Why? (laughs) I'm really ripping on him today. Oh, man. Okay. But you may, you may like to grocery shop, Henry. So you can grocery shop on the Sabbath. It's doing whatever you enjoy, but it needs to be partnered with time intentionally with God. That's what's important. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I go on holidays and I feel way more stressed at the end of the holiday than I did at the beginning. Yeah. Because I don't spend time with God, and I'm like, oh, there's probably a church close by, but we're camping, so don't worry about it, right? I do that, so I'm I'm assuming you do, too. Um, It's important that you spend time with God on the Sabbath, but also important that you do things that make you feel energized. The third discipline that uh, I say we, because Heather and I have put into our lives is something I'm calling simplicity slash surrender. And uh, I brought with me my book on purpose because I'm going to read a large excerpt from it, Expert and he or she um, explains this idea of simplicity way better than I could. And I could have wrote down the words and pretended that they were my own, but that's not good. Uh, So I'm going to read, it's large, just bear with me as I read, as... The writer explains what the spiritual discipline of simplicity is and why. An old shaker song goes, which I had no idea what a shaker song was when I read this. But anyways, a shaker song goes, "'Tis a gift to be simple, tis a gift to be free." We may agree with the sentiment, but there has never been a more complicated, cluttered, bureaucratic, social a society than the one that we live in today. In fact, the good life is often defined by how full, busy and complicated our lives are. Modern life is not simple. It is always about adding one more thing. But the more we add, the more it can go wrong. One car, one set of problems. Two cars, Two sets of problems. Adding the latest and biggest and the best in our lives wrecks havoc in our souls as well as our environment. Keeping it simple has fallen on hard times. And though we like the idea, we also like our choices. Jesus teaches us that freedom is not found in having and doing, but in keeping God and his will first in our hearts. Do not store up yourself treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven. For there your treasure is, there, and there your heart will be also. Matthew six nineteen twenty one. 21 Jesus wants us to know that we don't need all the things or experiences we think we do. What we really need is to keep thing- first things first. Jesus and his kingdom. Life becomes much more simple when one thing matters most. Throughout church history, followers of Jesus have intentionally vowed to live simply. Following the example of the Lord, they have given up comfort and possessions and clutter of life and the clutter of life to leave larger spaces for loving God and neighbor. Simplicity creates margins and spaces and openness in our lives. It honors the resources of our small planet it offers us the leisure of tasting the present moment. I like how they, how they say that. Tasting the present moment. Simplicity asks us to let go of the tangle of wants so we can receive the simple gifts of life that cannot be taken away. Sleeping, eating, walking, giving, and receiving love. The benefits we take for granted are amazing gifts. Simplicity invites us into these daily practices that can open us up to God, who is present in all of them. I pair simplicity, or surrender with simplicity, because in order for us to live simplistic lives in our day and age, we must surrender a lot. How Heather and I practice this in our lives is we assess the things and activities in our life and ask ourselves if we need it or not. If not, and they're simply making our lives more hectic, we stop them. Heather loves to declutter. That's something that she actually does on the Sabbath. Weird. I don't understand it, but she likes it. But she's good at it, and so we're often making trips to the Salvation Army. We're finding things that we don't need anymore. Um, and we're donating them. Or if they're, like, really expensive, then maybe we put them on the swap and sell. But anyways, we do that. We set priorities that place loving God above all else. And I think the hardest thing is we fight the temptation to have what others have and experience what others experience. I think the spiritual practice is the one that has changed your lives the most in the past I know if I can encourage you to do any of them, they're all important. But simplicity, surrender is definitely a big one for us. The fourth is vulnerability. In Paul, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he starts talking about this thorn that's in his side. This thing that he, this sin that he cannot, the temptation he cannot get away from. It's just always there, always tempting him. And this is what he says. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. While at um, a seminar, uh, a pastor said something. I don't know if he was quoting someone else or if he came up with this himself, but he said, When we see vulnerability in others, we see it as a strength. But when we see it in ourselves, we see it as weakness. So there are three areas in my life that I'm vulnerable. The first is that I'm vulnerable with God. When we're vulnerable with God, he is able to speak to the deepest and darkest parts of our hearts. He's able to heal, help us, heal us from our hidden brokenness. And we're able to overcome the greatest challenges. I'm vulnerable with God when I don't like what's happening in my life. I'm vulnerable with God when I want what other people have. Secondly, I'm vulnerable with my friends and family. I told you that when I read the Bible, I write notes, and I have a few people that actually read them. One of them is a good friend of mine, and he it's kind of a way of keeping me accountable. Um, but when Heather and I left our last church, we were pretty broken. I convinced myself, or you could say that Satan convinced me, that I, didn't, I needed to take a break from reading the Bible. And so I didn't read it. Maybe like two days in, three days in, I get a message from my friend, hey, what's wrong? And we were able to have this conversation of the, the challenges and struggles that I, that I was going through. And he encouraged me to continue to read my Bible. And he all said, I like reading your notes. And that's what I needed. But I wouldn't be in that place with that friend if I wasn't vulnerable. God has called us to be that type of friend for someone else. Which means that he's called us to be vulnerable. And the discipline of vulnerability builds community. I know that we are trying to build community in our church. That's why we have these connects groups and we have really hard conversations in those connects groups that are vulnerable. And as we are vulnerable with each other, then we are there for each other. Vulnerability builds community. The third is that I'm vulnerable with a counselor. Um, Heather and I are on a journey to become missionaries, if you don't know that, and so, um, they had a conversation with us, you need to do counseling, and I thought, I don't know if we really need counseling, because people had said that to us before, you're a pastor, it's stressful, you should do counseling, I'm like, yeah, okay, um, but, I needed to listen to them, (laughs) so, um, and we did, we were like, okay, yeah, maybe this will be a good idea, we went for counseling, um, Man, I think all of these. I was going to say this has changed our lives the most in the past couple of years, but I already said that about one of them. So, um, but being vulnerable with a counselor has helped us immensely. And we had a healthy marriage before. We still do. We should be clear on that. We had a healthy marriage. I I was in a healthy place when we started. Heather was in a healthy place when we started. And we started having this convert or these conversations with our counselor and realized that there are things that we need to work on. So, I'm, we're vulnerable with a counselor, and it's helped us, uh, I mean, I'll give an example, I guess, but I need to talk through my thoughts, which is stressful for someone that doesn't talk a lot, Heather, uh, because sometimes I talk through ideas that are completely unrealistic, and I know they're unrealistic, like getting a trailer and turning it into a tiny house, and living in it in the winter. Like that was one of my crazy ideas. I am not a handyman. I have no skills of getting a trailer and turning it into a tiny house. But it was one of my unrealistic ideas. Heather had to hear it. And she didn't know that it wasn't unrealistic because I was like, oh, you know what (laughs) you do? Knowing that it wasn't wasn't realistic, I still had to talk through it as if we were going to do it. Um, And so uh, now I have a whiteboard and I write my idea. And I think about it to myself quickly because I I have trouble thinking things through in my mind sometimes. And then I write down realistic, unrealistic, or I don't know. And I hold it and I say, do you want to talk about this now or later? (laughs) It it sounds funny, but we actually do it. It has helped us so much! Um, But we wouldn't wouldn't know that anyways if if we weren't vulnerable uh, with a counselor that was able to Help us with things that we didn't even think were were issues. I just want to encourage you that if you think that everything's okay, or maybe you don't think that everything's okay, it doesn't matter. Counseling is incredible. And it doesn't... We didn't think there was anything wrong. There wasn't anything wrong. But we still went to a counselor, and we were able to talk through things. I'll give another example. I'll be pretty vulnerable with you this morning. Um, My relationship with my dad was unhealthy growing up. And through counseling and conversation, I realized that I place a high expectation on men in my life, hoping that they're going to fill that void that my dad didn't. And it's also a defense mechanism. If I set a really high expectation and they don't meet it, then they're not a part of my life. I wouldn't have found that out on my own. Maybe after like years and years and years, maybe, but probably not. I needed to have that conversation with someone outside looking in that's a professional, a Christian professional that can help me understand my past and how it's affecting my present. The fifth discipline in my life is musical worship. And I say musical worship because if I said worship, people would be like, worship's a lifestyle, it's your everyday um, that's true, but I'm talking specifically about taking time and music with God um, While I was in grade 7, I started playing drums at my church's junior high program Maybe I started when I was grade 6, I don't remember, anyways, but in grade 7 I was playing I was in a church service, playing the drums, I wasn't really a Christian I mean, I went to church because I was supposed to go to church, and I was told to go to church But I had never experienced God for myself. So I was sitting there and I was playing drums and I was watching people and their hands were raised. And some people were on the ground crying and people were kneeling. And I was like, is this real? And so I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, if this is real, show me. And in that moment, I experienced God for the first time. And ever since then... Worship in music has, had a special, has held a special place in my spiritual growth. When I need to hear God's voice, I worship. When I'm in my most broken moments, I worship. And in those moments, God speaks to me. In those moments, God heals my heart. Jesus said himself in Matthew fifteen eight. he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from (coughs) me. Musical worship isn't just about singing songs on a Sunday morning. Musical worship is a physical expression to God of our desires to serve him alone. Praising him for what he has done and who he is and surrendering all to him. In church, that's why we clap our hands during fast songs. When someone does a good job, we clap, right? That's how we celebrate. We raise our hands or we kneel in signs of surrender. We cry and worship as a sign of brokenness. Musical worship is a physical expression of either how we already feel or how we want to feel. And when we're at church, we just get to do that in community, which I think is a a beautiful thing. So it only seems fitting to end this morning with worship, as that is my last point. While we worship, I encourage you to do a couple of things. If you're here this morning and you're not sure if God's real, or I talk about hearing from God, experiencing God, and that language seems odd to you, I encourage you to pray a simple prayer. God, show me that you're here. I know I've talked to people about worship and they're like, oh, I feel bad sometimes in worship because I'm thinking about other things, like what I'm going to have for lunch. No, I'm not supposed to think about that right now. Um, responding in a physical way is a way of telling our heart what, what it's supposed to be doing, our mind what it's supposed to be doing, and that's centering in on God. So I would encourage